You are listening to Dialogue City. Find us on Twitter, Medium, and Facebook at Dialogue City. Look for us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and any other podcasting streaming services you might be using. Dialogue City is recorded on the traditional homelands of the Treaty 7 people here in Mokinstis. I'm Jeremy Zhao. My name is Melvi. And I'm Grant Neufeld. So the election. What do you think? This one's tough. <laughs> this one has been brutal. In what I've, ways? I've, I've never been more apathetic. Leading really? Up to, yeah. Not apathetic as in like not, like not, not caring. It's just like, it's just been so much mm-hmm. that I just don't want to care anymore because it's been, it's not been about policy. It's been about individuals and I don't know how I feel about that. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it's always been like that, but I don't know. This one in particular has, for me at least, been very different I think it's probably one of the first elections that I can think of that had emotion to it, right? And wasn't just, this is whatever party is doing their thing. I mean, I'm still under 30, but not much anymore. You know, I've never really paid too much attention to politics because it kind of seemed more pedestrian to me, like middle of the road, not too much to be passionate about. But I feel like because of the divisiveness that is really characterizing politics globally right now, that we are seeing more of, more of the politics that are based around identity, and in some ways, rightfully so. But I feel like that's what's kind of being dredged up in this election, is that really, the really difficult, divisive politics that we haven't seen in the same way in this province. So I recently just came back from a trip to Edmonton. So that means a lot of going through rural rural Alberta and the support for the UCP is quite, quite evident. And I think it's sometimes easy for those of us in some of the urban centers to, to really be kind of sheltered away from some of, some of what's taking place and how there are kind of two very different ways of viewing the world. And and I'm saying this as somebody who, you know, elections in the past have been, this is a difference of policy. And I never really thought our, you know, worldviews could be so different that we simply just couldn't talk about it anymore. But this is one of those elections where I'm seeing that there are very, very different and very real difference in perceptions of, of how the world functions, how it should function, and that to me wasn't a part of my political consciousness until very recently, because I always, eternal optimist, always figured, you know, we'll, we'll come to a place, you know, these are differences that we can figure out, and this is the first time that I've thought, actually, maybe that's not the case this time, maybe we won't be able to, to figure it out or hash it out, and this is not just a disagreement between friends anymore, or this is a disagreement of how we do things to me, these are fundamentally different ways of, of seeing the world that are coming to a head here. And that, that is unique from where I sit in an Albertan election. It's been so difficult for me this election only because there are these financial, well, not financial, economic discussions that have been happening, especially within my workplace, mm-hmm. oil and gas and then there are also these social issues which are close to me as well. And we can't seem to make it work in a way that 
everybody can benefit financially, but also we don't socially regress. That is my conflict right now that I, I have at work. And I don't, honestly, for me, I don't think most people are what we call racist. I, I, I don't think that's the case. I think there's, there are so these two extremes that are just, these are the only two choices we have. And it's unfortunate that that's the case. I mean, there are multiple parties you can vote for, but being realistic right now, there are only two mm-hmm. of these so we'll call them extremes. I, I do think one is more extreme than the other, but there are two extremes, and it's it's very hard for an individual like me right now who wants to be inclusive, but at the same time, I understand what my industry is going through, and it's not been great for the past four years, and there's all this frustration hmm. that's that's built up to this moment and and it's unfortunate to see that and I don't have I'm, I'm going to put my ego aside I don't know what the answer is I don't know how to resolve a lot of the issues that have been brought up a lot of the issues that have been brought up have been is Jason Kenny a good person can Notley be able to get us out of this economic rut you know maybe she was at fault maybe she wasn't at fault you know I don't have those answers but it's been difficult to see like Albertans fighting with each other in a different way that we haven't really in the past. But in the past, we've just had kind of like one party, this big old progressive conservative party that's been able to kind of compromise on a lo- bunch of stuff. But is that the way to go? Is that not the way? To- I don't know. I don't know what the answer well, is. I think we're in a very different time now than when the progressive conservatives were in power for 40 years. I, in my opinion, the oil and gas industry is, is dying. And that's a, that is a global reality. And I think that is what so many Albertans refuse to hear and refuse to really understand the implications of this, the industry being what it is. Rachel Notley and the NDP party have very little influence on that, right? Alberta is a very small a very small drop in this global this global ocean that we're in right that industry is not coming back and if we don't invest the money that we are still making from oil and gas into diversifying our economy we will be irrelevant economically in maybe in our lifetimes right and this is what I feel so many conservative Albertans are really holding on to that this oil and gas industry will come back it's not and to to not factor that into our economic future is beyond short-sighted. And I feel like in terms of kind of tying that into the social part of it is some of that not wanting to acknowledge the reality of the global environment that we live in is an absolute unwillingness to acknowledge the reality that globalization comes with needing to deal with people from different different backgrounds, different racial backgrounds, different cultural backgrounds, different gender backgrounds, sexual orientations, the whole gamut, right? And there is a particular way of life that's been catered to in this province almost unquestioned for a very long time. And that way of life is under, it is under threat. It's changing. And that's not going to go back and it's not going to go back without, without a fight, 
right? Because I think both of you have said it already that, you know, most people are not, you know, these hate-mongering monsters. But at the same time, people that are, are really good at rallying people who are moderate, people who are in the middle, people who don't really know. The people that are brash in your face, who want our way of life to go back to the way it was, they're actually really good at rallying, rallying that support. Right when I think you know, when, as my husband and I were driving through rural Alberta, I was thinking about. I hope the NDP is not neglected to be be talking with and meeting with people in rural Alberta because if they're not talking to those folks, you bet the UCP is and the Alberta Party. Right, they are going into you know these rural spaces and making sure that that they have that support. Right. It's really frustrating that the political dialogue has been focused on being stuck in the past, being mm-hmm. focused on total, frankly, disinformation about economic issues, about how things actually work and how things are going to work as we undergo the changes we're facing that we're already undergoing. As you say, the, the oil industry is done. It has no future. What it has is just the scraps that are that are left, and even those are dwindling. They talk about all the job loss in the sector. Well, the job loss in the sector isn't just the economic downturn and the change in global oil price. It's also the mass automation of a lot of that work. The oil sands or tar sands, however you prefer to refer to it, the work there has been dramatically changed from labor-intensive to automation-intensive. The mass of trucks, as the most visual example to me, that used to require very skilled drivers, many of those are already automated, and they're moving toward full automation on those. I have a family member who used to drive those trucks. doesn't anymore. He's now doing like work in the electrical trade because he had to leave the, the oil work. Even if, miraculously, we went back to $150 a barrel or whatever ridiculously high price it was, that's not going to bring the jobs back. Mm-hmm. That's going to bring the revenues back for the oil companies, most of whom in this province are foreign-owned in terms of where that money is going. So yeah. it's not even money for Albertans. And, of course, you know these industries aren't talking about, even if we were just going to focus on the oil industry, how do we turn that into a productive industry for the people in this province? We don't do that by continuing to be just a purely resource extraction economy, where we dig it out raw, ship it out raw, and then buy back the processed products. We should have had refineries built here 50 years ago, but we didn't. Mm-hmm. We shot ourselves in the foot, partied like a bu- bunch of drunken 17-year-olds with no thinking about... Well, not to put down 17-year-olds, because the 17-year-olds I know these days are much smarter. But Some of them are quite sophisticated politically. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but from my generation, the teenage boys drunkenly partying and some of them dying as a result because there was no thinking of what are we building for the future. It's just like, mm-hmm. oh, I, I got my first $1,000 paycheck, party time. Mm-hmm. Instead of, oh, I got my first $1,000 paycheck, what can, opportunities can I build so that I can have a good future? Mm-hmm. We haven't been having those questions. And so the discussion in this province is limited to this super constrained thing of between the hard right wing of the UCP and the right of center, which is where the NDs are, are governing from these days. Hmm. And it's a very limited political spectrum that we're talking about. 
And it's not actually talking about our future. No. It's not talking about the changes that we have to deal with. People raising up arms about, oh my God, immigration's a problem. Immigration isn't a problem. Immigration is a net gain to our country. It is a net profit to bring in immigrants and refugees. Within 10 years, the vast majority of typical refugees or immigrants are a net gain to our GDP and tax revenue and all that. They've more than paid back what we invest in bringing them here and getting them up to speed to English as a second language or skills development or whatever. So that's not a problem. The real concern is going to be the environmental crisis that we're facing where entire countries are going to be lost and those people given that the vast majority of humans live within what is the, the kill zone of the rising sea levels, we're in for serious migratory challenges. Mm-hmm. And we're not preparing for that. We should be preparing to like have 10 times the population we do now in this province because we're so elevated that we're not going to mm-hmm. be directly impacted by rising sea levels. Right. But we're going to be impacted in terms of the population flow. So why aren't we preparing for that? Because if we prepared for it, we could be a thriving society with all those people coming in. Mm-hmm. But if we're not prepared for it, then we're going to collapse under the weight of, of it when we don't have the infrastructure to accommodate it. Right. Why aren't well, we addressing that in, in this election? Well, eventually it won't be a choice. And I think yeah. one of the reasons we don't want to talk about immigration in this province is it brings in the question of race and culture. Right, Because often the immigrants and refugees who are going to come here are not going to be white. And that is, that is a global reality as well. And so I think that is why we can't have a sensible conversation in this province around immigration, those changing patterns, because people don't like to talk about race in this province. Well, it's, as, as, you, as you so eloquently put it, we're going to be forced to reckon with it when when, the, when we're going to be dealing with an environmental crisis on top of that, and it's going to be even more volatile. As, as a rule of thumb in any society, you're going to need to learn how to live with people who don't look like you. That is just a reality, and we are failing at that because currently the dialogue that I see around race and culture in our province is we're all fine, we all get along. And how ridiculous is that? How politically incompetent is that as a conversation? Well, actually, the UCP, they are talking about <laughs> racing. You know what they're saying? We've got the most visible minority, whatever they call racialized people or people of color in their circles. They've been making claims of having the most representation that way. And they do. But you know why they do is because they're attracting people of color who are supporting homophobic and misogynistic policies, right? And so because we're not talking about race. Now the UCP has cleverly twisted that to their advantage, even though they're not willing to say the other part of that, which is we're attracting homophobes, misogynists, and people who are just about jobs, 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 taxes, 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 and are not talking about really anything else other than bring our oil jobs back. I think part of the reason why some of the left-leaning folks are really not pleased with the NDP is there's a reason we don't have a lot of racialized people being represented that way. Apparently, the NDP has a lot of women's representation, but that's often white women, right? And so the NDP isn't talking about race effectively either, and now people are looking at them kind of sideways because they don't have that same representation of visibly racialized people running for office, right? And it's like because neither party is capable of talking about these issues competently, Right, but the UCP has, has stuck their way in to to now use that to their to their advantage, right? And I think, well, they're they're using it because we're not 
we're not having these conversations and we're not having if we are having them they're not effective in my opinion what about the other parties then that they anywhere close would, would a voter just go well all i really have is ucp and ndp as my true see the air quotes here <laughs> uh, i would okay. think so i mean the green party i don't know um and and to be you know completely honest the green party uh usually is the one that i support but i felt like it was not a strategic vote this election to to vote green so i voted uh, ndp and i will say that on air because i'm not i'm not messing around this election i'm a queer black woman working class there's so much for me at stake and for so many people that i love and care about i'm not making any bones about it the ucp has has made it clear that they refuse to divest themselves from people who are garbage and hateful and they may have had some people that they've been like yikes but other times they have just thrown their their weight behind people where i'm like how is this person running for office so in my mind there are there's the ucp ndp green the alberta party i don't really know anything about and i saw alberta independence party and if it's what i think <laughs> it, uh irrelevant so that's what five political parties and i guess liberal as well right well, and i think there six. are three or four communists running okay yeah. I, did, I didn't even didn't even know okay. were they on the ballot i didn't even see i think they're on the ballot well i know their leader naomi rankin is running up in edmonton as she always does okay i, I didn't even notice they're there freedom conservative party of course Hildebrandt, who's there such an interesting character i don't necessarily mean interesting in a complimentary way <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's it, it's funny though. Like if we, our our group is has certain political leanings that are more common. Like if we were a I don't know a more again air quotes here right wing podcast right now, we would be laughing at other things. I don't know. I was just like a random thought that I had. It's like because sure. of just how we. Well, I think I honestly have more trust in and respect for people that own their biases than the people who equivocate and, you know, have this this idea that we're all neutral, we're all making objective choices. That's a fantasy. I own up to my biases, right? I am a queer person, I am a black person, I'm a woman, and I'm working class, right? I own I own all of those because I feel like that would be missing part of my political interest by not putting those on the table. In my view, I would rather somebody own up to their conservatism or to right. their left-leaning or centrist views. I have more trust in people that own those biases than people that pretend there's some kind of neutral, objective fairyland that uh, they live in that other people don't. Along those lines, I'm also interested in folks who are willing to come to the table in dialogue. Own their perspectives, bring their perspectives, but don't be like, I am the holy receiver of truth and all this kind of stuff. Like I think of, of Calgary City Council, where we have some different, very right-wing councillors on council, one of whom in uh, Ward 11 is not interested in dialogue, has made it very clear he's just interested in attack politics and likes to be in disagreement with the others and, and this kind of stuff, rather than saying, okay, what can we actually work out together? Whereas another one, a, a very right-wing, is it Ward 14? Yeah, Peter DeMong in, in Ward 14, who 
I was really worried when he got elected. His campaign manager was Craig Chandler, who is you know, a notorious right-wing, unpleasant person in this, in this city's politics. Mm. Yet DeMong has been... I mean, he's kept true to his perspectives and bringing those perspectives to council, but he's also been really open to dialogue. Like, I had one meeting with him talking about issues around uh, the city's data policies, and we weren't in, in accord on everything, but we talked things through, and it was clear he was, he was understanding what I was saying and thinking it through and expanding his perspective as a result when I was trying to hear do the same, hear what he was saying, all this kind of stuff. But that, to me, is a, you know somebody who's willing to engage in, in constructive dialogue, even if they radically disagree with me. I'd much rather work with them than somebody who totally agrees with me, who's absolutely rigid. I have the received truth from on high. This is the right way. Because nobody's right. Everybody who has ever existed in the history of this planet has been wrong about reality. You know, there's, there's not a single person who's ever existed who's been right about reality. But collectively, we can get a reasonable approximation. The analogy I always like to use is the, mm. the old philosophy metaphor of the blind guys in a room with an elephant. Right. Where each one has a piece of it, and it's like, oh, I've got my arms around something that's kind of like a tree trunk. Mm-hmm. And it's not a tree trunk, it's an elephant, but you know, that's what it's like to them. And they're right that it is like a tree trunk. Right. And, oh, this is kind of like a hose here. And it's not a hose, but it is like a hose. But you piece it all together, you get the elephant. And that's, to me, what democracy is. Each of us is sort of right about the little bit that we can see. Yes, it looks like a, a tree or it looks like an, a hose. But if we put it together then we get to a fair approximation of reality, and we can probably figure out if enough of us are contributing our perspectives, yeah, this is an elephant. So if this is an elephant, what do we do? We're not having those dialogues in, in most of our political discussions. It's, oh. it's funny you were talking about this fairyland, of, of uh, this neutral fairyland. <laughs> so a couple years back, I, I was with the energy group for the Alberta party. We were trying to like do like grassroots building of, of energy policy, I'm an oil and gas individual, so I, I, I was working on the pipeline one. And it's it's so interesting because this party, there's so much that it could do, but it's just so, it's not, the, the word isn't, they just can't make up their minds. You mm-hmm. know, they kind of go with the flavor of the day and then their policy shifts that way. I didn't think that their treatment of Greg Clark was particularly good and, and if you don't know the, the background was Greg Clark he was the leader of the Alberta party but officially he stepped down to allow for a leadership race you know I see it a different way as they needed to bring somebody else on to kind of get that messaging across when honestly Greg Clark was perfectly fine doing what he was doing and some of the policies that he that they had proposed even within the party when Greg was a leader was different than kind of what the energy group was thinking, the, the group that I was participating in. Mm-hmm. And, and it's nice to have the grassroots stuff, but they really couldn't make up their mind or one group would kind of supersede the other group in terms mm-hmm. of what they wanted. It wasn't, I don't think it was a good or bad thing. I think it was just, they just can't make up their minds and, and Albertans in general don't really know what they stand for. And because their policies can change and are fluid over time, it's it's hard for me to put their support behind them. 
at times. But, you know, some of the candidates they have are, are quality individuals. It's Can just, you explain a little bit? I just assume they're kind of conservative. I don't know much about the Alberta Party. I, I, I would say the, the big thing is they have, they have been so many different things over the years. Their original party was, was like formed by, I think, people who are like the progressive conservatives aren't right wing enough. But then that party sort of got taken over by others who were more, let's build a centrist party that can win that isn't the corrupt progressive conservatives. And then that sort of morphed into, let's try to be a good party. And then that kind of Mm -hmm. got taken over by the people who got alienated by the the hard right wing takeover of conservatism in this province as the the wild rose took over the PCs to turn it into the UCP. So the, the sort of disenfranchised red Tories of the, the progressive conservatives then took over the, the Alberta Party, which is what led to the ouster of Greg Clark as leader, because he wasn't a red Tory. He was more of an actual centrist, is, is how I see it as, as a total outsider to Alberta Party politics. It, I, and I didn't, I wasn't tuned. I was just part of the group that they were like, hey, if you're a regular Albertan and you want to contribute to policy building. I was like, yeah, this is fine. I mean, we have different perspectives, whatever, but it it just, in near the end, it was just kind of like, they didn't know what to do. And how do you throw your support behind a party that's not confident? Mm -hmm. If you're, if your own party is not confident about what its platform is, how can a voter be confident about that? Well, I feel like there's a real, there's a real danger in, in neutrality or the stance of well, it could be this, it could be this, it could be this. When people don't know what they stand for, don't give it any serious thought, there's a real complication when there are people who know exactly what they want, right? And they're not willing to compromise. And if folks have never given serious thought to where they stand, that can be confusing and that can be frightening when it's pretty clear to these folks. But these folks haven't given it any thought. So they, they're kind of late to the party, right? Because I think there's a real lack of responsibility that goes in not owning perspectives and not you know, doing any sort of reasonable amount of preparation to see where a person actually stands. Because to me, the, the folks who are neutral, who arguably are needed for you know, a bit of that kind of moderating perspective, now don't have anywhere that they, that they stand. That is really dangerous to not stand for something or to not know where you stand. I mean, I get that you can't have a strong position on absolutely every single issue, but I think this stance of I don't need to really pay attention or it's not really for me, that is that is how we get into these really polarized situations because all these folks who are potentially a moderating influence are not at that party, right? Or at least that's how it's. I see it really playing really playing out now is that the folks who have strong voices, we're hearing those voices. There's a lot of folks, I feel like, who are still not feeling as passionate or not as decided. We're not hearing from those folks as much because these vo- these voices are, are so loud and, and in a way rightfully so. When people know what they want, they get on mics and they get out there and because they know exactly what, what they're fighting for or what they're fighting against. Yeah, for a lot of folks, certainty is more appealing than the uncertainty of a complicated, mm-hmm. long democratic dialogue. So that's where the the false populists and the demagogues step in and mm-hmm. be like, 
oh, those wishy-washy, we have the solution, we have the plan that will drive this province forward by destroying most people's rights. But hey, you know, <laughs> as long as we get our jobs back. And that's what I'm afraid of. But, but you got to think at the same time, like uh, there are people that I know who haven't had a job in forever, right? It's tough on them, right? Like, you know, even being out of a job for a couple of months, it demotivates you. It it makes you feel like you're not equal to everybody. Just just on on the fact that you don't feel productive. You can't you've tried everything, you've done everything right and you still can't get back to where you were or even entering the workforce or a bunch of students. I'm going to go watch these fourth year chemical engineering students do their final presentations, but the job market, you know, after they do that presentation is, is bleak. I mean, there, there are opportunities, I mean, but the pay may not be as great. The routes that you can take from there might not be as great. It's, it's tough. So how do you talk to these individuals? How do you tell them that it's going to be okay not having to vote for, let's say, a more right-leaning party that's economically focused, right? I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but there is is that sense of urgency, I guess. You know, dialogue is an ongoing thing, Mm -hmm. but there are also certain priorities that they have to address sooner rather than later. And they're going to be voting for a party that is going to slash and gut the social services that could potentially be of benefit to somebody who needs retraining, to somebody who needs to maybe re-envision their entire life path, right? That takes social services, and these are the same social services that the UCP is, is hell-bent on, on getting rid of or cutting into seriously. So this is kind of a conversation I was having earlier on uh, with my husband about people not voting in terms of their own economic interests, right? And so the example that, that we were thinking of is exactly that, jobs, right? And often people with a conservative mindset believe that jobs are going to solve all their problems, which is complete expletive deleted. When you're working 40, hour, 40 to 60 hours a week, getting paid $15 an hour, you are going to stay poor. There is, there is no way out of that. People honestly have this delusion that a $15 an hour job at 40 hours a week is going to get them out of poverty. It's not. You can't support a family of four people working minimum wage at McDonald's. And I know that because my mother is a minimum wage employee at McDonald's, literally. So that is not getting her out of poverty, right? The way that she's able to survive working at McDonald's for $15 an hour is my dad works in a uh, box manufacturing plant, and he's worked there for 40-something years. And so that is the only way that she's able to survive on that income is because she has support from somebody else. As as an individual person, you are not going to survive on your own on these jobs that are uh, some of these jobs that are on offer but this is the part of the conservative worldview and mentality is that hard work is going to solve all of your problems and that is expletive deleted because we don't exist as these you know self 
sustained individuals. We exist uh, interdependently with all other human beings, all beings. It sounds hippie, and you know it's unfortunate that it sounds that way because that is the reality. Your cup of coffee in the morning takes countless beings to get that cup of coffee to you. But there's something about the conservative mindset and values that really has this delusion of individuality that all you have to do is pull yourself up by your bootstraps and then there you go. That's going to be your ticket to a better life. And that is a delusion. People may, may disagree with that and may not like hearing that, but the reality is human beings exist in collaboration with other human beings. And however that looks like, that is our reality. Working 15, working 40 to 60 hours a week for $15 an hour is going to keep you impoverished. It's also going to have an impact on your physical health, your mental health, and often your relationships because working in a lot of these jobs, you don't have time for those social connections that could potentially land you a job that's beyond that station in life, right? So I think that there is a cruel reality in poor people and middle-class people who are conservative voting against their own economic interests because they often don't think of the reality that the people who run in these parties are elites. Even conservative elites, they have money, right? And so these folks are voting against their own economic interests, right? And that's not me saying that as some hippy-jippy type. Unfortunately, that's kind of the political, you know, language we have here in this province, right, of, you know, these starry-eyed liberals who don't understand economics, when in reality, you know, this, this is the reality, that jobs alone are not going to solve poverty. That's ridiculous thinking. I've been Grant Newfeld. I'm Jeremy Zhao. And I'm Melvi. This has been... Dialogue City. Check out our next episode for part two of this conversation. Find us on Twitter, Medium, and Facebook at Dialogue City. City. Thank you for listening to Dialogue Dialogue City. City.